music is supposed to inspire. How come we ain't getting no higher? Welcome back to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Never Ready. This is Stephen Robles, and we hope you enjoyed the past two episodes with Elisa Childers. Really encourage you to check those out. It's I Kissed Historic Christianity Goodbye. Thank you, Joshua Harris, for that title idea. <laughs> but we are back to the three. Brother Seth and Sister Never Ready. We are back to the three, and I think somebody spiked our coffee today because we're uh, a little... <laughs> A little tipsy actually. I literally just had a coffee, so that might be the right. case. I don't Energy. know what's happening. We've been uh, doing a lot of pre-recording here that we're thankful you guys <laughs> won't hear today. It's a pre-show show. Pre-show show. So anyways, we got some, uh, man, we got to hit a bunch of things today. We don't yeah. have a, a ton of time, but we're going to try to dive in here pretty quick. So we want to start with this uh, K-Love controversy story. But before we jump into that, I want to tell you guys about an organization that Nerva and I absolutely love called Impact 360. We've had the pleasure of spending the last five summers with these guys at a camp called Immersion. And we've seen students walk in the door day one with shaky faith, with sometimes no faith in God at all, and leave as confident disciples of Jesus. Uh, They really do an incredible job at training students to understand, articulate, and even defend the Christian worldview. And uh, they also have some amazing materials on their website. It's impact360.org. We'll have that, uh, I believe, in the show notes. And uh, yeah, we'd love for you guys to just check it out when you get a chance. If you like this podcast, you will love the resources available there. Nerva and I have actually taken a couple classes through their website, but they interview some of the leading experts in the world on topics that range from the historical evidence for the resurrection to science and Christianity to biblical authority, and they go really in-depth into these topics. So just want to encourage you to check that out when you get a chance. So back to K-Love. Right, and now I was unfamiliar with K-Love being here in Florida. We know of Joy FM as a radio thing so can you explain kind of what k-love yeah, is? yeah so k-love is is uh the, i guess the easiest way to put it is it's the one ring to rule them all <laughs> yes. of the radio world indeed um <laughs> they are like basically you, they could make or kill a song mm. um, by themselves in christian radio they Absolutely. own i don't even know a percentage but i would say what 50 percent at least maybe more but like literally and growing like if you're if you're promoting a song mm. and you're waiting you you're just you're waiting to hear that one phone call from Caleb air one the air (laughs) ones are like uh i guess uh christian hits radio chr and then Caleb. the regular stations are just like your um adult contemporary okay because ac station there's like the Caleb cruise and there's other things branded awards yeah okay oh it's the Caleb awards is that what you said yeah Yeah. Yeah. oh that's right yeah uh Caleb cruises uh and also they i think they're connected with hits deep Right. Yeah, they I sponsor think they the Hits Deep, Deep tour. tour. Yeah. And so we did that tour with mm-hmm. them. So we've actually we've visited with them. We've met with their directors, <laughs> um, had conversations with them over the years. Um, we're going to give us some critique here, but we do want to say <laughs> we're going to evaluate. We do brother. love them. Well, yeah. It, and yeah, they, yeah, we're going <laughs> to a positive uh, critique here. Uh, no, 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 that's not quite right. We're going to give a critique here. <laughs> sure, sure. But anyways, uh, Kayla, they, they do a lot of amazing things. We've had good experiences with, with them over the years, and um, probably most people are familiar. But anyways, they got into a bit of a controversy this past week. Um, the You know the new movie, Unplanned? Right. It's coming out. I don't know when it's coming out. Yeah, so we're, um, I just looked it up. So the Unplanned, it's the true story of one woman's journey of transformation. Abby Johnson is her name. 
Uh, she was one of the youngest Planned Parenthood clinic directors in the nation. She was involved in upwards of 22,000 abortions. And so this movie is about her going from that to becoming a pro-life. She's a pro-life speaker. And the movie is about her journey. So based on true story. Oh, man, that sounds yes. powerful. But anyway, so they, they responded. They said they wouldn't advertise the movie. And the initial reason, according to Abby, was it was too political. Mm. Okay. Um, then they came back. And I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but then I guess um, she was interacting with them again. They said, well, that's not really what what's happening. We just don't want to promote it because it's rated R. Um, so people started picking up on this and, and posting about it. I think actually Abby might have posted about it and kind of mm. said, hey, here's what's going on. And then people started jumping in and really commenting on it. It caught my attention because one of the guys I follow, Dr. Michael Brown, who's an apologist. I think he's a scholar in Near Eastern ancient ancient Near Eastern literature, hmm. and uh, but he also does a lot of work in apologetics and online stuff and writes broadly. But he actually brought it up and wrote an article for Stream uh, Stream dot org. We can put that up in mm-hmm. our show notes as well. So I came across it here, but basically here's what he was um, saying on it. He, the The title of the article was "K Love Show Some Love to the Unborn." So he said this, the K-Love radio hosts are like family members, trusted, comforting, encouraging, faithful, even if a little corny and canned. And every day, all day, enjoyable Christian music is played. Songs of worship, songs of praise, songs that lift and inspire. This has been the key to K-Love's massive success, a success underwritten by hundreds of millions of dollars in listener income. K-Love is also careful to avoid controversy, wanting only to share, quote-unquote, positive message. And, and he puts in here parentheses, he says, similar to many pastors in America who have missed the boat here as well, into uh, parentheses. And he says, in fact, K-Love's slogan is positive and encouraging, quote-unquote. And so... I wasn't totally shocked, this is Brown speaking, to hear from Abby Johnson, the pro-life leader, whose story is told in Unplanned that K-Love refused to advertise her movie. According to Johnson, they will not advertise Unplanned because they do not promote anything political. And here's what Brown says, but saving the lives of of the unborn is not political. Sharing a redemptive message of hope and life is not political. Turning the hearts of mothers and fathers towards babies is not political. And he says, please... Now, I want to pause there because I actually, when I saw the headline that K-Love had, had rejected it for being too political, I actually wasn't surprised either. And that was what I wrote on my tweet. And I don't know if we talked about the time, babe. Where, did you have any thoughts initially? Why weren't you surprised? I'm curious. Um, we'll get into this more like later sure. in the discussion. But sure. I, I think was the, I surprised? the reason I, I You know, yes and no, kind of, you know. I'll give you a reason. Tell, tell me what yeah, you Yeah, I wasn't surprised because it fits with what I see them as. I, I see them as the radio station that doesn't, sure. you know, it, I think to a detriment, they don't want to get involved in anything that's going to be in any way controversial. So they sure. end up, you know, even musically and everything they do ends up getting really, really kind of as broad as possible. Sure. sure. Um, so let me look. Actually, I'm looking for my tweet here. You said, disappointed but not surprised. We in the CCM industry need to get our prophetic voice back and stop settling for trying to make people feel good for popularity and financial gain. Dr. Michael Brown replied to you, 
Said, yes, sir, that's exactly what my power of music advocates. Power of music, yeah. Glad this to send you a free copy. So there you go. Yeah, so I'm, uh, Michael Brown, if, he, if he's listening, if you're listening, uh, go on and send that free copy. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll purchase it. I don't mind. But um, it's been on my to-read list for a little bit, which is what I told him. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, they started with saying, you know, we don't want to be too political. And then they said, you know, we don't want, we can't do it because it's rated R. But this is what Brown pointed out in his article. Which are two good reasons. I don't think that that's a fault in and of itself. What's to, that? To, to say it's rated R because there are lots of people who have, you know, right. abstained from rated R movies. Yeah. And too political. If that's not your lane, yeah. nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But go ahead, carry on. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, well, and what Brown responds with here is he's saying, basically, this is not primarily a, a political issue. It's an issue of saving people's lives. Mm. And so to to kind of hide behind being apolitical, in his view, at least, he's saying this is not a good excuse. And then he goes to the rated R thing, and he says, basically, this was a bogus rating because, um, as Abby points out in another article, the movie actually has no cuss words, doesn't take the God's name in vain, no nudity, no violence. It has two scenes, one where a baby's being killed, but it's showing it in the computer or whatever. The, yeah, the ultrasound. Thing, ultrasound, some okay. kind of thing like that. And then another scene where she takes a pill and has a blood hemorrhage and it shows kind of like okay. a, a, a bloody mess or whatever it is. And because of that, it's rated R. Well, it, it more so... They think because the people don't like the content, so they gave it an R rating in That's hopes that they would drive down um, viewership. Mm. So in other words, I think Brown calls it, he says it is it is a totally bogus rating based entirely on Hollywood's love affair with abortion. Mm. And, he's, and he actually encourages, he said, Christian parents should not think twice about the fact the movie is rated R. If their children are old enough to have a serious discussion about abortion, then they're old enough to see this movie. Okay. Mm. Now, this is the this is the question. These are the two questions he asked that I think get to the heart of it. He said, "Will Caleb partner with Hollywood to keep Christians away from this movie? Mm. Will Caleb be influ- influenced by a clearly based viewer rating rather than respond to truth?" And this is what uh, he he refers to. This is like a whoops moment because Johnson actually points out that Caleb previously promoted Mel Gibson's The Passion movie. Come on, somebody, see. Which was also rated R and right. way more gory. Oh, my, than here this we movie. go. So right. at this point, it's, it's starting to look like just trying to get out of it. I'm trying to get out of this because it's controversial. Right. And I, and I really am looking for any excuse I can. Um, so that, to me, doesn't surprise me, honestly. Just... I know nervous looking at me crazy. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm processing what you're saying. I, I, I'm really processing it. I hear you and I, I totally understand. I just, you know, when you hear an organization like Kayla, you got to remember that there's lots of people that work for right. that organization and just one decision doesn't represent the entire organization. And so you, you might have people on their team who totally disagree, but the powers that be make that choice. And so it's easy to um, lump them all in one yeah. category. So I get that. But you, it is disheartening to hear of, of, of a huge Christian influence kind of abstaining from taking a stance like that yeah. to really promote something to be so impactful. And right I now. think so I get it. And I think I would agree with what you're saying. There obviously are going to be people 
across the board in that organization. But what it is is the gatekeepers, the the people that make the final decisions that represent true a, an organization. True. The right. those people are you know basically the ones that need to like account for these excuses. Are is this is this really legitimate? Are we just trying to dodge the issue here? And so, um, th- at this point. Brown is saying like, hey, let's get involved. Let's lovingly urge Caleb to reconsider. So he put a link up and uh, where people could go and write to them. And he was telling, you know, don't be don't be mean, don't be right. unkind, but just let's let's encourage them man, to really take a stand here because this re- like literally can save lives. Like the more influence Absolutely. this movie has, mm. it can really um, have an impact on people that can be the difference between them having an abortion and not and right. just spreading you know, the understanding that this really is killing human beings. So here's where I want to go um, next. But I think uh, I think Brown puts it here and he and he puts it in pretty strong terms. So he says this, he says, so, Caleb, now is your time to use your massive reach and influence to help change history. This is your moment to act. If not, Caleb is in danger of being a modern counterpart to a very shocking scripture. And he says it's found in Ezekiel 33, where the Lord says to his prophet, as for you, son of man, your people are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Pretty strong passage. Mm. And here's what he puts in a talent. In, in italics indeed to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well for they hear your words but do not put them into practice ezekiel thirty three thirty through 32 oh my. and he says in the case of ezekiel he spoke powerful piercing words from the lord words of repentance and judgment and restoration and hope but to the people he was just an entertainer like one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. In the case of Caleb, it will be like it will be like who only it will be oh I think that's a mis uh misprint there. It'd be like one who only sang love songs with a beautiful voice and played an instrument well, never bringing the word of the Lord. What will the word what will the Lord say to that? Bringing this up as as I think he in essence it's a challenge to all of us yeah. as Christian artists. Um, and even our churches, and that's what I want to really, really uh, land on for a minute, because actually right after this, like I had posted this on Facebook and put it up and wrote something similar, like, you know, there, I, I think I said, I'll just summarize it, but there are times when social issues overlap with our need to step up and, and say something. And I referenced slavery and Jim Crow mm-hmm. and how certain Christians were silent then try not to be too political mm-hmm. and that we look back on them and, and rightfully say they made a mistake. Mm. Um, are we in that time? Should we, do we need to step up and, and speak for the voiceless? Right. In this case, Absolutely. those who are being murdered. And I would say, yes, we need to use our platforms for that. This is a is this is an issue of biblical justice and we cannot mm. afford to just hide behind kind of being apolitical in these moments. So that's what I basically said on Facebook. Now, 45 minutes after that, Abby got back on Facebook and said, great news. I had a meeting with Caleb today. They changed their mind. They're going to promote the unplanned movie. So 
I think we can rejoice. Absolutely. In that because yeah. and that's yeah. what that's what Brown put here too. He said wonderful update. After meeting again today with one of the movie producers, K Love has decided to promote Unplanned. We are thrilled. Thank you for everyone who sent the emails encouraging them to promote the film. We are strong together and I'm honored to have K Love on the team. And Brown posted, you know, this is gonna save many lives. Hmm. That's powerful. And so we're happy with that. Um, but I don't know that it solves the underlying problem. And here's what I mean by that. I think K Love is responding to popular pressure and so initially they thought well this is going to be bad press if we promote this or it's going to be controversial and then the pressure worked in the other direction so they responded to that it wasn't Mm -hmm. as though they had a had a fundamental change in their approach to like saying you know what we're going to really start making strong stances and the reason i think um that's part of a larger problem in our culture with our churches right now and that i think is is a weakness that we all need to consider even for ourselves as artists is like are we going to are we going to kind of take this position to appeal to the masses to appeal to people the broadest possible audience and and kind of water things down simplify them down um to basically make people feel good well and that's something again i I don't mean to i'm not even singling out k love in that you know, as I write our epitaph for never being on Christian radio again in this yeah, podcast. Yeah, example. <laughs> um, what were you saying yeah. about making and breaking? Right. Right. Yeah, so, right. I, you know, pretty much uh, hitherto for hereby, uh, we will never uh, mm. have a radio hit. But no, the, you know, I do think it's a question worth asking right. of the American church in general, of us right. as artists. Like, even me, I'm convicted. Like, how many times are we swallowing the whistle? And I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but so... At the end of a basketball game, when there's a close game, um, oftentimes it is good practice not to make a touch call because you don't want the end of the game, the result, to be determined by a little touchy foul or like something that's like a light, you know, mm-hmm. a light infraction or yeah. a light violation to determine the winner. So you try to not blow the whistle unless you have to. But sometimes at the end of the game, a foul will be so clear that everybody sees it, but the ref's scared to blow it because he doesn't want to be the cause that this person goes through the foul line. So wow. he, it's called swallowing the whistle. Mm. See, okay. And I think the stakes mm. are so high in our culture right now with we see this anti-God, um, this push of secular humanism, this push of coming against religion, this push to right. silence the church, to shut the church down. And it's so strong that we can no longer afford to be entertainment-based. I don't think we can any longer afford to just appeal to what people want and like. And, you know, we've sat in on these meetings before with radio stations, and I get the practicalities. I understand that they're trying to... Stay on air. Yeah, they're trying to stay on the air, and they're saying, what is Becky like? They they literally had these names, so we've sat with them. They said, you know, when we promote our song Brother, they're like, man, we kind of like this song, but... You know, Becky's getting the car after soccer practice. She's she's got her kids with her and she's just trying to shut them up and make them happy on the ride home. She doesn't want to think too hard in that moment. She doesn't want to be challenged. She wants to, you know, just a song of encouragement. And I totally get it. Totally understand. And I know you guys have y'all have three kids. Yeah. And when you get in the car, you're not, you know, trying to turn on some deep you philosophical discussion. Yeah. You just, man. You want to cry from as much as, love, as much as I love those Robbie podcasts, it does not satiate right. the children in the back seat. <laughs> right. So. And so I get it. Like, I don't want to be, 
I don't mean to be overly idealistic here, but here's what I want to ask. Like if you're a a friend of ours from K love and you're listening to this, can we start to have discussions to move in alongside of that positive encouragement to move in some stuff that's going to actually push things forward Hmm. uh, for the kingdom. That's going to highlight and equip people, give them some nutrients for the battle. You were recently having a discussion with some friends, right? Where you said someone went through a really tough. Oh yeah. I've got a a friend that had, a really um, tumultuous um, experience where she she went through a dark phase actually where she had lost a child and she remembers struggling in her faith so deep and she remembers um, that nothing helped she would turn on the Christian music or and it didn't it didn't um, she couldn't relate to it because it was it wasn't where she was like it was it was the lyrics were too sweet or too happy and she could mm. not enter in to receive deep presence or help from Christ because it just didn't compute the, the lyrics. She was trying to find a place where she could yeah. could um, engage with Christ through music and it just she had a hard time finding those songs. Right. Not that they're not out there. Not she not just yeah. on Christian radio so I they're was like wow. They're not readily available. They're not on the top of the charts. No, yes, no, no. They're not. And I think this is all part of the problem. And, and so here's my suggestion is this. Can we maybe creatively think, how can we start to weave in songs? And I'm, I was reminded of that, that interview. I think it was Bono and uh, Eugene Peterson a while back on the, on the Psalms. And uh, I, I started getting all these texts from friends, tweets and stuff that were saying, basically Bono said he, he had problems with Christian music and, and, and had a distrust for it because it was dishonest Mm. and he didn't feel like it was, um, yeah, I think that was his basic critique is like, it felt overly rosy and and dishonest and not, not that I agree with everything Bono says and you know, it's not like Bono said it, I believe it and that settles it. (laughs) But I think, um, I think on that point, I actually would agree with him is the, the music that gets highlighted in our world right. often lacks honesty. And it's because, and again, I'm, I'm being fully honest here at, at the risk, <laughs> but if, if you're writing for K-Love, you're going to have to write songs that they'll play and they'll play. They're, they're only typically going to play songs that um, they, let me just say they don't lend toward being honest. Well, I think that's, Nervous as a light. No, Is that I'm processing <laughs> towards being honest. It's honest maybe to one group of people at the time. I don't know that um, songs that played on K-Love are completely dishonest. Yeah. Well, let me, it could be a percentage thing. Go ahead. To broaden the picture even further, uh, even outside of music, to look at what pastors preach in the pulpit, yeah. you don't hear many, many messages on the suffering yeah. of the Christian walk yeah. or the depth that you will sacrifice. And not many, you don't hear from the platform lab that all 12 disciples were killed for their right. belief. Wow. You know, we usually talk about the walking on water part, not the hanging upside down on a cross part. Yes. And again, it's my uncle has this saying that as a church, as we share the gospel, we're supposed to say, come and see, come and see that the Lord is good. Come and see that there is life and not death. But once people come and see, then we have to tell them, well, now you have to come and die. And there's a whole part of Christianity where you die to yourself and you sacrifice and that there is suffering. And so it is not popular. You know, people don't want to come in on a Sunday morning and spend their 30 minutes hearing about how much they're going to suffer. But to offer that full picture, like I think you guys are talking about, you do have to address both. And those who are going through those dark times might actually find more encouragement when you are talking about the suffering 
and how it relates and how it fits into the Christian life and maybe not so much the joy part of those yeah. songs. So. True. And I think that's that's probably how we cash out what I mean by dishonest, not an outright lie. Yeah. None of it's like, oh, that's false. It's it's, it's dishonest omission. in the sense yes, in the sense of omitting essential parts of the reality in a way that makes you think like, oh, the Christian life, it must be this. And I think that's what your friend was experiencing is it's like an overly rosy picture. So if you were a painter and you have realist painters who paint what's there and then you have painters who are like more like a Thomas Kincaid and I love Thomas Kincaid, but if that's all you ever saw and that's all that was highlighted, then you have like the other Christian artists who painted like the sad clown and that was more like, you know, so I think what I'm saying is just more balance. And so I think that's what the Psalms do is there's, there's happy clappy moments for sure. There's joyful moments, but there's also moments of lament. There's also moments of praying and crying to God and saying, you know, this is wrong. This needs to be changed. Wishing for death even. Yeah. It is like, yeah, just end it. And that, and that was in essence what that interview was about, was about the Psalms. And they were saying, how, how did the Psalms differ from what we see in current Christian music industry? And I think the system is set up so that we're not seeing the full depth and breadth that we see in the Psalms. And that's what he means It's demographical. I think it. It's geared to a certain audience only. For sure. And you remember we were at that station and they said, why is black gospel music all about the struggle? Can we get out of the struggle? (laughs) Is anybody walking in victory? Have we overcome Mm. yet? Every song is about being down and out, crying out to God. And so it's like you said, there is a balance. There's both and there's the psalm. There's my God, why have you forsaken me? And then there's, yes. I will lift my eyes to the hills from yeah, which comes man. my help. So I, mm. I hear what you're saying for sure. I I tend to err on the side of defending all things Christian, so no, I have to I be objective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I um I don't know where I'd be without Christian radio or gospel radio, but definitely you turn to one station, you'll hear a majority of one thing, and you turn to another yeah, demographic, That's you hear true. something else. And I, I love the variety, Yeah, but like you said, and I, there is a problem with the one one diet all the time. Yeah, and I and I don't mean to be overly critical. Either. I don't think you are. Love. What I'm what I'm offering is friendly fire. Sure, like call, you know. Sure, so sure. I'm, right. This is like this is like let's sharpen each other together. And I think actually we I think it. we have a real opportunity here because I think K Love has such a massive influence. Like Brown said. If they can maybe make a shift, it's sort of like shifting a cruise ship and like maybe, maybe, I don't know, a 20 degree shift or whatever. But I do think even back to the point about churches, um, I think, um, I think that the, the tendency on what we speak on, what we select and how we do it, that maybe may need to be even an 80 degree shift. And this is speaking in general. There's a lot of good churches out there killing the expository preaching and teaching the Bible. But I'm just talking about, you know, the by and large, our approach in American Christianity. And I want to read this. Um, Before you read that, too, yes, I think it's got? it's just another reminder, too, of um, if you've made a choice to stay non-political and you have any kind of influence in Christendom, those days are over. It, the, the, mm. the battle is coming to you. You will have to make a stand and choose. Yeah, and man. then hopefully <laughs> you've prepared to do so. But like, I think I look at that whole example as wow, these are the times we're living in. You will eventually be approached to make a stand mm. and express where you stand, mm. whether you've chosen to or not. Yeah, okay. for sure. Ahead, so here's this uh, long quote. I've read it many times in churches, but I think it really captures the idea from a philosopher and theologian, J.P. Moreland. He said, 
What would be the theological understanding, the evangelistic courage, the cultural penetration of such a church? And what he's asking about is a church full of like basically what he calls empty selves. It's a psychological term that says it's the it's kind of the passive narcissistic. It's about me. And Mm. it's what many psychologists have diagnosed this culture as being about. Like we're sensate, we're feelings based, we're like it's, you know, basically my life is structured about around myself at the middle. Right, right. So he's saying, what would be the theological understanding and penetration of a church full of empty selves? Um, if the interior life does not really matter all that much, why spend time trying to develop an intellectual, spiritually mature life? If someone is basically passive, he or she will just not make an effort to read, preferring instead to be entertained. If a person is sensate, which they, you know, they always want to see and feel, you know, that kind of deal. And if there are sensei in orientation, music, magazines filled with pictures and visual media in general will be more important than mere words on a page or abstract thoughts. I think this was written about 10 years ago, so you could implant social media as your main diet now. If one is hurried and distracted, one will have little patience for theoretical knowledge and too short an attention span to stay with an idea while it is being carefully developed. And if someone is overly individualistic, infantile, and narcissistic, what will, what will that person read if he or she reads at all? Christian self-help books that are filled with self-serving content, slogans, simplistic moralizing, a lot of stories and pictures, and in and inadequate diagnosis of issues that place no demand on the reader. Mm. Books about Christian celebrities, uh, dot, dot, dot. What will not be read are books that equip people to develop a well-reasoned theological understanding of the Christian religion Mm. and fill their role in the broader kingdom of God. Such a church will become impotent to stand against the powerful forces of secularism, and Mm. I would add in postmodernism, that threatened to bury Christian ideas under a veneer of soulless pluralism. That's kind of what we talked about last week in the, the Gunger book. Right. Um, where all roads are, you know, basically lead to God. They're all, you know, wrong, but right in, in essence. Right. And misguided scientism. In such a context, the church will be tempted to measure her success largely in terms of numbers, numbers achieved by cultural accommodation to empty selves. In this way, the church will become her own grave digger. Her means of short-term success will turn out to be the very thing that marginalizes her in the long run. Yikes. And I think that last sentence is so telling. If we, if we do cultural accommodation and we make our success, I've heard this recently, the three Bs in church, butts, bucks, and baptism. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the radio world, in the artist world, it could be something as simple as bucks. followers, listeners. Yeah. You know, if we make that our main aim, then we're going to, then our means of that is going to be cultural accommodation to empty selves. And that's going to be the very thing that marginalizes us in the long run, he says. And we see that because we have, why, why is it that we can have a percentage of any estimates have been anywhere from 20 to 30% Christian in this nation and have right. so little impact on yeah, the nation. Man. Yet you got LGBTQ activists who are, completely changing the, you know, the whole realm of our culture. Right. Um, why is it, we have no impact like that. And I think this is part of the problem. And this mm. foundational problem is really what I want to get at 
And I want to challenge whether you're a church, whether you're a radio station, whether you're an artist, mm. whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, whatever you're doing, to rethink success mm. from a biblical perspective. Not throwing out the practicalities, you got to have listeners, all that kind of stuff. But rethinking success and then how we can all help uh, to equip the body to be able to stand and not be impotent in this time we're living in. That's good. Um, on the heels of that, I, I want to play this one. It, it's a little five minute video, um, from Michael Brown. Cause I think he captures this well too. And it's just called, why don't more pastors speak out? And again, I think we can apply this to ourselves as artists in the music industry, but why don't more pastors speak out? So here's Michael Brown. Have you ever wondered why more pastors don't speak out about controversial moral and cultural issues? Why it's rare to hear a sermon about abortion or homosexuality? I'm sure many pastors would say, that's not my calling. My calling is to preach and teach the scriptures, not to be a cultural commentator. But, but doesn't the Bible Ooh. itself comment on culture? Doesn't God's word intersect with society? Didn't the prophets of old confront the evils of their day? Other pastors might say, my calling is not to be political. My calling is to make disciples. But how should disciples live? What happens when we experience injustice in the workplace? What happens when our kids come home from school crying after the latest sex ed class? What happens when racism raises its ugly head in our community? How do we respond as disciples? Shouldn't church leaders help us answer these questions? Looking back on history, how do we feel about pastors and leaders who chose not to speak out during the days of slavery in America? Don't we question their integrity and their courage? Don't we wonder how they could have nothing to say in the light of such evil? What about those who had no problem with segregation, yet preached from the scriptures every Sunday morning about God's love and God's goodness? Something just doesn't line up. What about pastors and leaders who chose to remain silent during the Holocaust when six million Jews were killed in cold blood? How do we feel about their silence today? And don't we commend leaders like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who refused to compromise their convictions for the sake of safety and career? A quote widely attributed to Bonhoeffer states, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. What would Bonhoeffer say to us today when so many of our spiritual leaders choose to stand on the sidelines while our culture crumbles? But let's put aside the larger culture for a moment. What about our own families? In the world we live in today, our kids and grandkids have to deal with questions about abortion, about drug use, about suicide, about sexuality, about the meaning of gender. These issues are directly affecting them and their friends. How can we who are leaders not provide solid answers for them? How can we not help equip their parents and teachers? Isn't this also part of our role as shepherds and leaders? In 2014, George Barna conducted a poll in which he asked American pastors if they believed the Bible addressed the key moral and social issues of our day. 90% of these pastors said the Bible did in fact speak to those issues, 90%. But when Barna asked them, are you teaching your people what the Bible says about those issues? The number dropped to less than 10%. That's a staggering statistic. 
Nine in ten agree that the Bible spoke to all the major issues of our day, some of which are highly controversial, but only one in ten was willing to actually address those issues from the pulpit, even with the Bible as their guide. And by the way, Barney got the same results when he conducted a similar poll a couple of years later. What reasons did the pastors give for their silence? According to Barner, there are five factors that the vast majority of pastors turn to. Attendance, giving, number of programs, number of staff, and square footage. In other words, these leaders openly stated that they avoided the controversial issues of our day because, in Barna's words, controversy keeps people from being in the seats. Controversy keeps people from giving money from attending programs. Isn't this like selling your soul for popularity or for money or for influence? Isn't this following more in the footsteps of Judas than of Jesus? Isn't this fearing man more than fearing God or loving the praise of man more than the praise of God? Isn't this relying on the flesh more than the spirit? What makes the situation all the more remarkable is that a 2015 Barnapol indicated that spiritually active Christians who hold politically conservative views believe that churches should be more involved in the political process in particular. They are eager for their pastors to teach them what the Bible says about today's social and political issues. So, the congregants want their leaders to address these issues, yet the leaders are afraid to for fear of losing congregants. How ironic. It's true that pastors are not called to be politicians and that their main focus is teaching and preaching the scriptures and ministering to the needs of their people. But their people live in a very real world and they need answers to the great problems and issues of the day. And the Bible provides answers to those great issues. To fail to speak is to fail to equip. To fail to speak is to fail to protect. To fail to speak is to fail to love. So some pretty uh, pretty strong words there from uh, Dr. Brown. Hmm. Fail to speak is fail to love. Yeah, man. And I think, um, yeah, that's just good. It's good for us to remember, man. I think again, we're gonna have to we're gonna do future podcasts where we really dig into the systematic theology of how we should be involved with cultural issues of how we should be involved in politics. And we'll get into the nuts and bolts, but today we're just touching on these specific issues and saying, man, you know, if, the, if that's not you, if, if, if you're like, man, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not speaking on these things because of any of those things. And you can just let this fall down. But I think it convicts and challenges me as a Christian artist. And as just a person who, you know, does, speaking and stuff like that, not to be afraid to touch on controversial issues, but Mm -hmm. to actually grow. And and we said this before to, to wake up. What do we say? Speak up, stand up. I can't remember. Train up. Yes. It was wake Wake up, up, train up, speak up, stand up. Yes. And so I think that, you know, we just all need to go to the drawing board and really, really understand these issues from a biblical perspective and maybe move away from the entertainment base, move Mm -hmm. away from, appealing to people's sensate desires right and uh in our churches our art get back to this so good, good. yeah well, well we'll include all those links and show notes also with dr michael brown and all the other things that we talked about on this uh k love and unplanned film <laughs> so unplanned since, film k love we love you yes, we do. <laughs> well since, um, we, since we got through that first topic so quick yeah man yeah right Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, so um, okay. next topic, we'll we'll just try to 
to go through these pretty yeah. quickly. But um, so the Chick Fil A thing, uh, the a few days ago, I can't remember when the Think Progress article came out, but basically. I saw this article. I can't remember where where I came across it, but I saw it come out, and I wrote a quick blog response to it. So if you're interested in that, it's on our FreeMind. Yeah, you can go to FreeMind.fm and click the blog button, and uh, what uh, Brother Seth wrote is there. And future articles and blogs will come go there as well. Yes, and so um, you know, it's really interesting. So in the title of of uh, the the Think Progress article. I think they wrote something like, uh, here it is, Chick-fil-A donated to anti-LGBTQ groups that bars employees from homosexual acts. And the subtitle is, the group gave $1.8 million to discriminatory groups in 2017, right. despite reportedly claiming it was winding down that practice last year. So I was, what I wanted to highlight was two important words that you see in that title and subtitle. What are those words, you think? It was... Let's do it one more time. Yeah, so Chick-fil-A donated to anti-LGBT groups, and then the, the subtitle, it gave $1.8 million to discriminatory groups in 2017. Anti-LGBT. Yeah. Yeah, discriminatory. And so, you know, there's just a, there's a bit of a, a language game going on right. here. That, and they've been very good at this. Like the activists in this area have really – been good at changing the the semantic field if you will right and so now when you when you even hear that you automatically in your mind you almost picture like these kkk members that are just evil and neo-nazis that are you know just hate groups and so chick-fil-a you're like oh the evil chicken you know and you know that's part of the I would say the misuse of language when you use words like discriminatory, um, you're you're trying to impregnate that with inflammatory terms to yeah, make you think about that. And sure. now it's so in the water that many of us Christians feel like, oh man, we hear that, we're like, we immediately just w- want to be silent or don't right. say anything or run the opposite direction because we're scared to to kind of face it because the game set up from the beginning in that way. So I wrote this, I wrote the little blog on it and I was basically saying, Hey, don't let these terms scare you. Don't let it put you in a corner and paint you as something like we, we need to stand up against these bullying tactics and basically expose this, uh, this misuse of language, uh, because it's just not discrimination in the way that we use that term. It's not being anti LGBTQ in the sense that they want you to believe that we're being anti LGBTQ. Now, no sooner than I got this blog out, I think it was like either the same day or the next day, this ruling came from San Antonio Council saying that they weren't going to allow Chick-fil-A to be in their airport food court. And um, I was like, wow, well, here we go again. So this has been like a theme as of late, and it's been really interesting. I think what was the other one that just happened in New Jersey? I think it was, uh, was it the, the, the university, right, yeah, the university they decided not to have it there. So, you know, I think we're going to see this more and more and just need to be aware of kind of what's going on. Nerva, you actually watched, watched the council, like a 30 minute. Yeah. It was really eye opening to hear the, um, the representative of the, the city council give reasons why they did not want Chick-fil-A for those very reasons. They saw, uh, Chick-fil-A, he said something about like we, the airport would be the city gates to our city and 
we don't want that symbol up there because it means hatred to a lot of people. Yeah. And I was like, hatred, Chick-fil-A, that couldn't be further from the truth. But, you know, um, he says uh, other reasons was um, the conversion therapy and their anti-same-sex marriage and all that stuff. They see it as as hatred and ex- right. exclusion, if you will, you know. So yeah. it's very interesting to hear their, their arguments for it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it was it was kind of it was kind of disheartening to hear a couple of those guys speak and they were just saying how abhorrent it was. This guy specifically used that word that there were organizations that still existed like this that sure. were so you know, basically so hateful and in the Think Progress article that that even these people the San Antonio Council I think was referring to that article in this right. in this deliberation. Uh, apparently the and I wrote this in the blog that the malevolent evil organizations are referring to that Chick-fil-A donated to was none other than Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Salvation, Salvation Army, Army and this other mm. guy's youth home. And um, wow. again, it wasn't none of these organizations were discriminatory in the sense that they want you to believe just by using that word. But they just hold to biblical eth- sexual ethics that says any right. sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman is considered unethical. We can't, you know, have leaders that are, whether you're, whether it's homosexual sex, heterosexual, threesome, pedophilia, none of it, like anything outside of that doesn't meet their standards. So they're not even singling out, you know, people that might struggle with same sex attraction. And, Mm -hmm. and I know uh, Dan Cathy, for instance, has, you know, often reached out to leaders in that community um, and, and even when they had the Pulse shooting in Orlando. Right. Yeah, they opened on Sunday. I think that it was like they opened a Chick-fil-A on Sunday, which mm. they never do, and went out there right. and served them uh, sandwiches, gave them for free for people that were out there for the um, candlelight ceremony, just to show support and love, while at the same time just holding to the biblical ethic. And so this kind of thing is really interesting. And I thought uh, John Stone Street captured the irony of this really well in his tweet. He said... San Antonio council member Robert Trevino explains without his head exploding why he voted to ban Chick-fil-A from the airport. He says, quote, everyone has a place here and everyone should feel welcome when they walk through our airport. And mm. then he said, can't make this stuff up. So he's saying, how did he, exp- how did he actually say that out loud without his head exploding? That right. everyone's welcome here. Everyone has a place here. <laughs> Except. Except. Right. And so like, it, I mean, it's, it's like, the the human mind when it's darkened will just mm. misuse reason yeah and it just reminds you like wow and they kept saying like compassion you know because we want to be compassionate and empathetic and inclusive and the whole thing was called into order to exclude chick-fil-a from coming <laughs> into the food court and it's like wow it's like people right. you know you know, the other councilmen, too, were like, you don't want to go down this route. Do, are we saying that we want to go ahead and interview every single business at the airport and ask them where they stand on this issue? Right. If you start here, this could go down a, a trail. We do not want to do this. Yeah. So it was encouraging to hear other people, other councilmen um, on the other side supporting yeah. Chick-fil-A. Well, that, and, and I wouldn't even... I don't even know if they were supporting Chick-fil-A or just supporting the first amendment and just freedom of religion. And that's in essence what this guy wrote. Um, David French, I don't know if you're familiar with him on Twitter, but he has a large following real even kill guy, you know, not given to overstatement. Um, but he wrote, uh, for national review and the article is titled San Antonio violates the first amendment to punish Chick-fil-A. Mm. 
And I want to, um, just for, for time's sake, I want to skip down here. And basically he talks about the decision that they made. And he said, this is Orwellian nonsense. And George Orwell, you know, the writer of 19, I right. think 1984 yes. talks about the totalitarian government takeover and, you know, basically censoring everything you could say and believe. Right. So he says, this is Orwellian nonsense. This action isn't based on any alleged mistreatment of gay customers. Instead, it's based on the notion that a person won't feel, quote-unquote, welcome in an airport because they disagree with the charitable donations of a foundation connected to one of the airport's vendors. And he said, that's absurd. That's more fake outrage. And it's unsustainable. This is an important point. It's unsustainable for a free people in a pluralistic society and that's why even mm. even outside of we're not just trying to we shouldn't just be about trying to protect our rights as Christians. This is for the common good of a pluralistic society. He's saying it cannot exist. This right. is why the first amendment amendment is was first <laughs> and why it's right. so important to the American experiment in its inception. They understood you could not even begin to construct this kind of nation that's not based on a particular race or tribe. It's right. based on an ideal system Mm. with the f- the fundamental framework being freedom of conscience and religion. And so that's what um, French is saying here. And he says, um, should we only feel welcome, quote unquote, in spaces where we know the owners share our faith? And he said, in this time, it's unconstitutional fake outrage, at least when manifested through government action. Simply put, the government may not condition the ability to operate a business on the government's distaste for the religious or political donations of its owners. That's pure Mm. viewpoint discrimination. Mm. And if Chick-fil-A chooses to sue, it will not only win, but the city council's intolerance will likely cost taxpayers hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. You know, we talked about worldview before. We talked about coherence and consistency. Yeah. And this is, I think, where the inconsistency starts to bubble up to the surface, where they preach love and acceptance, except for the Christian belief. And I I wonder, like we mentioned before, especially when it comes to LGBT, that Islam is, again, same stance to LGBT, even harsher, maybe. And I'm curious, when will—I don't want this to sound— culturally insensitive, but the restaurants that Middle Eastern people might be owning in these airports, a lot of Middle Eastern type food in these areas, shawarma, those kinds of things. Like why, I'm I'm curious, why are they not being treated this way or at least being uh, evaluated from the secular standpoint in this way? And what will happen if they do, that's an interesting go question. After that. And yeah. I think there's a recent example of that. We'll have to look this up for the details. But in Birmingham, UK, where they were teaching uh, basically LGBTQ, you know, sex ed in the elementary schools, and it was a 90% Muslim school or something like that. Parents actually rose up against it and overthrew it. Like they mm. actually won. I'm sure. And wow. I think that's going to be an interesting conflict because right, right now, again, on the social, on the um, critical theory scale, right. you can punch up. You know, like like right. Neil said, so you, you, it's easy to to take shots at Christian organizations. Right. Um, when you start getting the Muslims opposing LGBT, then you have a different dynamic going on. So right. that'll be an interesting uh, scenario because they were sure. already seeing the Muslim community as an oppressed group. Right. Which is why when a celebrity or someone from Hollywood talks about 
religion equality or freedom of religion, Islam is immediately the next example, right. not Christianity, because right. of the amount and percentage. Yeah. So as that increases, as it is yep. in America, it'd be in, it will be interesting. Will there be consistency from an atheist and secular yeah, standpoint in regards yeah. to both those religions? And I think the difficulty here is is there's no stand there's no objective standard of reason. So it's right. whoever's lower on the intersection of the totem pole. Right. And that that will that's really arbitrary. So who you know who right. wins the day or or do is it a fear maybe even of what will happen right. in response? Who knows? Right. But which is always interesting because I think Judaism also enjoys the same maybe overlookedness as Islam because Jewish people yeah. in America or almost if at all ever addressed is in a joking fashion. Yeah. But never is the Jewish, you know, uh, belief system really criticized like Christianity. And I think right. I can only imagine it's because of the, the small percentage yeah. and lack of influence. There is not a Chick-fil-A of Judaism, right. nor is there a Chick-fil-A of Islam. Yeah. And so the inconsistency only because of the exposure, level of success, all that, it's interesting. Yeah. And that might actually be shifting with uh, the the House of Representatives, like uh, Ilhan Omar. Mm, you know, there's right. been a lot of controversy with that lady saying lately saying she's an o- overtly made some anti-Semitic statements, right? And that they, she hasn't been reprimanded by the Democratic Party, and mm. so there's this battle going on, and and. I don't know. Jew, Jew, Jews might be losing their uh, oppressed status in America and being being pushed up right. with the Christians these days. So we'll mm, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah. um, I think that uh, French actually ends this article pretty well. He says, "Until the decision is reversed, San Antonio isn't a champion, quote unquote, a champion of in- equality and inclusion. It's an instrument of censorship and bigotry." Mm. So they actually begin by calling the other group discriminatory. Mm. and bigots and all this stuff, but they end up actually being the yeah. very ones that, that are doing that right. and not the ones that are accusing of it. So th- just what you said, the inconsistency yeah. here. And, um, you know, the, the truth of it is, is there's, there's going to be, because of um, same-sex marriage, there's going to increasingly be these conflicts between LGBTQ activism and religious freedom. Right. And basically, who sits on these, you know, the the legal courts, you right. know, the judges and all these kinds of things will determine who wins. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting, this lady, uh, Kai Feldblum, I think that's how you say her name. She was um, the commissioner of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think she was put there under the Obama administration. And she explicitly had said at one point, I don't see any scenario in which... Uh, freedom of religion should win over LGBTQ mm. freedom mm. and equality. Um, yeah. Now, thankfully, the current administration removed her from that position oh, in the past few months and, and is placing different people there. Um, so that was actually a big win for for freedom of religion. Right. But yeah, so we'll, you know, this is something to keep your eye on and be aware of and just, you know, understand the times. And I love, again, what Dr. Michael Brown says. He, he always says this, reach out and resist, reach out and resist. What he mm-hmm. means by that is re- we want to reach out in love to the people that are sexually broken, but we want to resist LGBTQ extremist activism. Right. 
So we resist right. this movement while we reach out to people. That's good. And I think that is embodied in Chick-fil-A and right. why actually they have been inclusive in the best sense where right. they are actually loving toward people that they even disagree with on a worldview level. Right. Whereas some of the members of this council couldn't do that. They just said, these are evil people. Right. We're not going to have their restaurant here. So there's a, there is an asymmetry going on here. And you know what else too? It reminded me to, to not overlook, um, voting in these mm. little local council areas yeah. with your aldermen, your mayors, you know, we pay much attention to the, the, the big, big ones, big right? votings. Yeah. But, um, I, I realized, wow, who we place in office in our areas right. really, really matters. No, I think that's huge. That contributes. That's huge. You know, you're right. I don't even know if I've, this Listen, is probably terrible. terrible. <laughs> have we ever voted on our mayor or anything like that? I don't even know. We, we've been traveling we have, so much. We have shirked our gone, duties. But yeah, but watching that, I said, okay, it matters. It does I'm matter. I'm going to get way more involved. Yeah, man, being more knowledgeable on your local government and get involved. Um, so, uh, man, we, we're so long here, and I apologize to our listeners. If you've made it with us this far, we commend you. Um, but this last thing I just want to end with, um, just to give an update, we, we talked a couple, a few weeks back on, on Carl Lentz and his interview on The View, and um, we gave just an evaluation of, you know, kind of the answer he gave to, to Joy Bayer on some of those questions about abortion. And I just wanted to give an update because he actually spoke out recently against the New York ruling, and he came out actually pretty strong on it. So here's here's just a piece of the... Instagram post, he said, although it is layered and there is language in it that some are claiming will protect mothers in peril, the only way I can describe where we are and where this is all headed, dot, 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 is evil, shameful, and demonic. And he said, I don't use those words lightly, but they are applicable here. Um, and then he goes on to even quote Psalm 139, where he says, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful. All your works. My soul knows it very well. So here's some, I just want to say like, this is a very positive step. And I think he made, um, a strong stance here exactly in the way that we would, would want him to do. And so we did, we did want to point that out um, and just say this is a great thing. Uh, keep going down that road, Brother Carl. Okay. We uh, commend you with that statement. Um, and we just want to encourage other people, man, if you have influence and you have platform, let's not be afraid of the controversial things. Let's not continue to appeal to people's sensate narcissistic desires and wants, but let's actually press in, be thoroughly biblical, stand for what's right, train people up, give them depth and give them Jesus. Hey, come on. Amen. Hey. Give them Jesus. <laughs> you know, I read a, a proverb today that um, talked about um, when you're with your friends, don't be afraid when they ask you a heavy question to be really honest. Yeah. And it reminded me that's the place where you start to be really, really truthful and authentic and um, practice just standing in truth and love and grace. You know, it's like there's something about a person who's just always tweeting and and posting on social media but is not walking in truth on their day-to-day but you know Mm. it just reminded me you know it starts with filling up with god's truth in your quiet time and just walking in truth and love in in relationships that you do have and then when the opportunity comes don't be afraid Mm. the lord is with us and he fights our battles he goes before us so that was a good reminder today proverb 24 
It's good, man. That's good. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on the Free Mind Podcast. You can find links to all the videos and articles that we talked about today in the show notes. And we'd love to have you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, at FreeMindFM. And if you haven't yet, we'd appreciate a five-star rating in the iTunes store. It helps us get discovered by other people who might be searching for this information and topics. And so we appreciate that. Thanks for joining us. No.